Disrupting Japan, Episode 75. Disrupting Japan is sponsored by Justa. Now, I've known the team at Justa for years, and I've been recommending them long before they became a sponsor. Justa is really the only recruiting site that gets bilingual startups. Whether you're looking for American engineers or Japanese sales staff or the other way around, Justa can help you out. Unlike recruiting companies, they are priced to be very startup friendly, and unlike job boards, they're an active part of the startup community here, and they're trusted by some of the best talent Japan has to offer. So drop by justa.io and see what they're about. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Ah, The great outdoors. It's something that nerds like me don't really get enough of, especially living here in Tokyo. Well, Yoshi Haruyama of Yamap is starting to change that. Yamap is a mobile app that allows hikers, backcountry skiers, and mountain climbers and other outdoorsmen to know exactly where they are, even when they're far, far away from anywhere with cell phone reception, and to share those experiences with others and to learn from them. If you're one of our overseas listeners, you might be surprised at how much natural beauty Japan has to offer. And if you're one of our listeners in Japan, you might be surprised at the average age of Japanese outdoorsmen. Yamap has also done some OEM deals with Japan's largest brands, and Yoshi gives some practical advice on how startups can sell to and work with large Japanese companies on joint projects. Oh, and during the interview, We talk about a wireless transmission technology called LoRa. Just so you know, it's a low power, wide coverage network that's useful for transmitting large numbers of very small messages. So now you'll know it when you hear it. So let's hear from our sponsors and get right to the interview. Some of Japan's largest companies are starting open innovation programs and actively reaching out to global startups. They're new at this, and that's where Crew, with two W's, comes in. Crew runs corporate startup accelerators for companies like Toyota and Panasonic and dozens more. And these programs are one of the best ways to jumpstart your business in Japan. Many are open to global startups, and they're completely free. Now, I've known and worked with the Crew team, and they're probably doing more than anyone to bridge the gap between corporate Japan and global startups. So, drop by crew with two W's dot me slash four hyphen startups and get started. So, I'm sitting here with Yoshi Haruyama of Yamap. It's an application for hikers and mountaineers and other outdoorsmen in Japan.、Mm-hmm. But, Yoshi, I'm sure you can explain it a lot better than I can. So, <laughs> tell us a bit about Yamap. What is it? So, Yamap is a social GPS tracking application. You install the Yamap application, you can find where you are without mobile reception, such as mountain or foreign countries. Who are the main users? Is it hikers? Is it backcountry skiers? Mountain climbers? Who, who uses it? The most of our users are hikers and backcountry skiers. Okay. Well, let's see, you started the company in 2011, 
and you launched uh, like two years later, right? Yes. You were working yes. on this project a long time. Yeah. And you digitized a lot of these maps by hand and were like marking the trails yourself yes. early on? Yes. Was the problem that there just isn't digitized information on hiking trails in Japan? Why did you spend so much time having to do it yourself? The most difficult point we made this application Yamap. So Yamap is work without mobile reception. Right. So most application is based on online. We have to adapt our application online environment and offline environment. Mobile reception is good in Japan, but if you're in the mountains, there's no cell there's reception. No, no, no. Now we have uh, 4,080 maps in Japan and uh, about 100 areas in foreign country like New Zealand, United States, Switzerland, and so on. So we need enough time to make maps. Are you and the Yamap team still creating and entering the maps, or are your users now doing that for you? So both. I mean, uh, we take advantage of the information from users, but uh, we made a map which is based on our information. I, I mean, I, what, what kind of information? So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's easy to understand why a hiking map application that works with no cell connection mm-hmm. is valuable. But what's the social aspect of it? We add uh, information such as hiking time, so where, where the toilet is, where the parking lot is, to the map. So that's why we need to customize our map. Then when our users use our maps, so we can take advantage of these users' data to make our maps better. Okay. Like uh, Wikipedia. Right, exactly. Well, let's talk about your customers. Tell me about your users. So right now, how many monthly users do you have? So we have 380,000 users per month. And are they mostly hikers or skiers or what kind of activities are the most common? Most of our users are hikers. Before you mentioned gamification, Mm-hmm. Was, was very important mm-hmm. in this. But I'm curious, so to me that seems like a very interesting concept. Is the idea simply that if this person climbs this mountain, he gets a badge? Mm-hmm. Um, do hikers and outdoors people, do they need that kind of motivation? I think the developed countries like uh, United States or Japan, there is a big problem. So many human beings don't use their own body. There's no chance to connect our body to nature. I can see that. Most Japanese do live in cities, and Mm -hmm. most people are working at office jobs Mm -hmm. or programming computers or or making podcasts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But does an application like Yamap actually motivate people to go out and Mm-hmm. Hike, or do you think it's the existing hikers who are adopting mm-hmm. Yamap because it provides a, a very convenient way for mm-hmm. them to mm-hmm. get maps? Yeah, in Japan, there are 7,400,000 people who are doing outdoor activities. So I think there are few. Now, does that include things like going to the beach, or is that only 
hiking and skiing. Only hiking and skiing and picking the mushroom and so on. So how does the gamification work? We want to give the people who are not doing activities that chance. So the, the hope is that it will attract new hikers and yes. new yes. snowboarders. Yes. And, well, let, let's talk about the business model itself. It's been very interesting watching Yamap over the last um, three years now. You, you launched in 2013. Yes. So over the last three years, both grow the size of your business, mm-hmm. but also find the right revenue model. Tell us a bit about how Yamap actually makes money. So our monetize point, one is the premium model. Mm-hmm. So two is the outdoor insurance for hikers and the skiers. Three is the affiliate model for outdoor equipment. All right. Now, those are three very different ways of, mm-hmm. of monetizing. So let's take them one at a time. In the freemium model, mm-hmm. the basic application is free. Yeah. And in-app purchases are used to buy what? Different maps or? It's like a airplane that people who pay more sit business class. Okay. <laughs> the person who pay for Yamap can use the good maps. Like practically, what's the difference? Or is it just there are more maps or more detail? Pay users can get the premium maps, which is color map. So it's not like the the free version, they'll tell you how to hike in, but you need to pay for it. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we are very honest. <laughs> That's good to hear. I, I think the affiliate program, mm-hmm. where you're running um, like affiliate for outdoors goods, mm-hmm. And the insurance program, it, it's very interesting. They're both a way of monetizing your community. It's a very different model from a freemium, from a pure freemium model. Mm-hmm. Which has been more profitable for Yamap? Oh, that's a really good question. I, I think it's easier to sell goods to our users. So it's very difficult for our users to buy freemium. I think hu- human beings don't use to get the uh, digital contents. I see what you mean. Yeah, so it's it's yeah. hard to get a pure Very digital hard, purchase. Yeah, yes. Everyone that's running a freemium model, mm-hmm. the overwhelming majority are free, and free is often good mm-hmm. enough. So what percentage of your users are paying users and which are free users? Just one person. Okay. That's pretty standard, I think, for mm-hmm. a lot of apps. Mm-hmm. But I can see why that makes it very difficult to really run a business. Difficult. Very difficult. Yeah, when you only have 380,000 mm-hmm. users. So that's why we want to emphasize on the, yeah, such as goods, insurance. It's changing the company from being a company focused on the application mm-hmm. to a company that's focused on the community. You've also just recently Mm-hmm. done some really interesting deals with uh, Casio and mm-hmm. Kyocera. You integrated with Casio's mm-hmm. outdoor smartwatch. Yep. How did that project happen? Did you pitch to Casio or did Casio find you? Casio find us. Oh. So maybe two years ago. First, the Casio was interested in Yamap. One year later, 
Casio want to develop smartwatch for outdoor people. So Yama has the big community for outdoor people. That's why we can help with Casio. What is the arrangement? Are they just pre-installing your app on the smartwatches? Did they pay a like one-time license fee? Are you getting a percentage of every watch sold? How did the deal yeah, work out? It's a license fee. Okay. Almost all big Japanese brands are saying they want to work with startups and mm -hmm. they want to do innovative things. Mm -hmm. But those kind of deals often don't go very smoothly. There is a big impedance mismatch between startups and big companies. Did you find it hard to get that deal done? Did things move too slowly or? Yeah, it's pretty hard because there's a different world. Yeah, like <laughs> what kind of things? A startup companies doing so first. If it's good for users and customers, we can do first. But the big company have enough time to decide it takes two weeks or one month just to have a meeting or to make a simple yeah, decision yeah yeah a lot of people expect working with a big company or selling to a big company to be really slow mm. did they have a lot of requests for example for changes in your product or customization before we began to cooperate with big companies so we advise them to the one point this program is good for our users and your users we don't want to do this program for ourselves you you didn't want to customize it for casio no no well i think that makes sense the fact that you had built up a community of users around yamap that is what is attractive to casio mm -hmm. so it sort of proves that this model works. Mm -hmm. Did Casio understand that? Did they agree with it? Yes. Or did they? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, that that's is good. why we are doing good job with Casio. You've worked with a number of others like Kyocera and talked to a number of big companies. Has it all been kind of the same experience? Yep. Yep. Same experience. So slow decision making, but they give you kind of creative freedom for your product. Yeah. That's After decisions, so they are doing good. Actually, <laughs> That's really encouraging to hear. Um, just from my own experience, so many times when I've been trying to sell software or product to large corporations, they want lots of changes and lots of customizations. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they're looking to startups and accepting the product basically as is, I find really encouraging. Mm -hmm. So what advice do you have for other startups who want to work with big Japanese companies? The most useful advice is to have large community platform in your service. If your service is just two, it's not a good point for big companies. So many big companies are not good at manage community platform. On the other hand, the startups is good at making community platform and managing community platform. I think that's a really interesting point because, so what you're saying is that the large companies aren't so interested in the technology. They're interested in the community and the user base. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because so many startups do tend to be focused on their technology, but the real value is in the, the user base. Yeah, the technology is not enough. So we need a both technology and a community platform. 
Do you think that is because the large companies look at the community and say, we want those customers? Or do you think it's the large companies look at the community and say, oh, that community proves that this is a good product? I think both. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about going global. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned you have a few maps in countries outside Japan, mm-hmm. but do you have plans to expand globally? Yes, of course. So in this year, we want to try in the United States. How are you going to do that? Are you going to start with, say, just maps of Hawaii or... We have already made uh, national parks in the United States, almost all national parks in the United States. What is your plan for building up Uh, a user base. For example, in Japan, Mm -hmm. you were personally very involved with the outdoor. So you had a good place to start to build up Mm -hmm. that core user base. Mm -hmm. But going into the U.S. market, you're kind of starting from zero. Mm -hmm. So what's your plan on on building up those users there? Now we are making the IoT device with the LoRaWAN. That's really interesting. So your strategy is not a smartphone app. It's hardware. Yes, hardware. And this is different from like Casio smartwatch or something totally new. Yeah, it's new. What's the form factor? Is it a a wrist wearable device? Is it something you carry? It's kind of a name. The size is a name card. People can send a message to your family or your friends. Even with no cell reception? No, no. But from the business model, it sounds like it's going to be a very different style. So... Mm -hmm. In Japan, you started out as a freemium application Mm -hmm. and pivoted to more of a community. Mm -hmm. And in the U.S., are you planning on building up a community as well? Or is the sales going to be driven strictly by these Internet of Things devices? I think first, we have to make a good community platform out to the users in the United States. That's why we want to make special device for out to the users to make their own out of the activities safer and more interactive. And and when are you planning on releasing this? Maybe the end of this year or uh, the beginning of 2018. About how much do you Plus think it will cost? Maybe 3,000 yen. So about $25. Yes, yes. So it's, very it's cheap. It's not expensive. So we want to connect this IoT device to our application Yamap. Okay. So the idea is the Internet of Things device will also connect with the Yamap application mm-hmm. and you'll use that to build up a community in the United States or yeah. elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the business model might evolve very differently in the U.S. Or mm-hmm. and in Japan. Now, outdoor activity, for example, hiking in Japan is very different than it is in the U.S. I think so. In Japan, the trails are much more clearly marked. Mm-hmm. And in some popular spots, there's even like little railings along the, mm-hmm. the trails. Mm-hmm. I think part of different, part of the same. The big difference is the um, education. I, I had a stayed in Alaska for two years as to study biology. So in the United States, the outdoor activities are part of education. People can learn communication and people can learn biology in the natural field. So I was really impressed with that. You think, for example, in America, people who are hiking 
know more about the trees and the types of animals they'll see, and they study for the hike. Yes, and a good opportunity to communicate with family and friends. And, and in Japan, it's different? A mm, little different, I think. It's just leisure, just fun. That's why there are few young people in Japan. But、uh, in the United States, 50 or 60% of outdoor activity over 20 years old and、uh, under 40 years old. And in Japan, is it mostly older?、Or? Very old. So 60% is over 60 years. Oh, okay. Well, that、very、is going to make、different. it very different. <laughs> So, in the US, it's mostly people their 20s, or 30s, or yeah, 40s,、yeah. but in Japan, it's 60 and older. Is that true of your users as well? Are most of them 60 and older? Of course, they are 60 older, but the percentage is 30% in Yama publication. Is 60 and older? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, that's a really interesting challenge. Yeah. Because The smartphone penetration within seniors in Japan is actually quite high. So, a lot of people over 60 have iPhones or Android phones.、Mm-hmm. But, what do you think of, of the market as a whole? If Yamap is serving a market that is aging, 60 and older,、mm-hmm. and young people aren't so attracted to outdoor activities,、mm-hmm. what do you think is the future, not just of Yamap, but of hiking and outdoor activities in Japan? The outdoor numbers have been decreasing in Japan if we do not program for outdoors. Ah, so that's, that's the big need for the gamification. Yes, yes, that's right. Trying to get more people outside, especially young people. Well, have you thought about focusing on inbound tourism?、Mm-hmm. Oh, good point. A lot of people now are coming to Japan,、mm-hmm. especially like backcountry skiing and, and things. Is that an area you're looking at? Yeah. So last year, we launched our application Yama in the Niseko area for backcountry skis.、Yeah. So it really works. Okay. And Niseko is just world famous、mm-hmm. as a, a skiing place. I think there is a problem. Almost Japanese people do not understand the nature. Around their own area, they don't fi- figure out how nature is beautiful in Japan. So, you think just the Japanese people don't appreciate the nature that is here、uh, now? No, not usually. Japanese people advertise the shrine, the temple.、Mm. It does not include a na- nature point. That's true. The government programs, the Japanese advertising for inbound、mm. tourism. Does focus on Kyoto and famous、yeah. temples, but a little more these days on skiing and,、yeah. and hiking. Yeah, it's, it's getting popular. So, for example, in Kyoto, there are really, really good temples, so, but also there are good natures around Kyoto, but the people don't know. Ah, okay. Especially、uh, local people. I mean, it's probably because most of Japan's tourism. Comes from Japanese.、Mm. It's, it's internal tourism. And if the hiking trails, that makes sense that they're not focusing on them, but hopefully this new wave of inbound tourism、mm. will bring different tastes and,、yeah. and a new priority on the nature. If the hiking and outdoor activities is getting more popular, I think people would have stay e d longer in the one areas. 
I think so, so too. It's it's more to do. Yeah. So hiking or cross country skiing mm-hmm. is a much slower activity. Yes. 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 Yeah. So it makes local Japanese people to be changed. I want them to have a confidence in their own hometown. Yeah, to advertise the the nature to the world. Yes, yes. But I think that once different areas see it being done elsewhere, once they see it working and foreign tourists coming to Japan for hiking in one area, I think other areas will copy that mm-hmm. and start doing it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, Yamap is based in Fukuoka, right? Yes. And you, you yourself are from Fukuoka, yeah? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm a big fan of Fukuoka, actually. <laughs> Thank I you. really, I like it. <laughs> There's a lot of startups in Fukuoka, but the startup scene in Fukuoka seems very, very different from Tokyo. The best point is to enjoy the whole life. It is not only doing job, but also to have fun with family and friends. Five years ago, I was doing job in Tokyo. I understand that Tokyo has a really advantage to get the job. Yeah, there's many more jobs yes, in Tokyo. Yes, there are many talented people and there are many jobs in Tokyo. But in this age, we have to focus on our life not only job. So it's a better work-life balance. Yes, and yes. I guess particularly with a company like Yamap, where there's a lot more accessible hiking trails around Fukuoka yes. than around Tokyo. Yes, so we can keep a good balance. It is interesting. One thing I've noticed about Fukuoka startups as compared to, say, Osaka startups. Mm-hmm. So when a Fukuoka startup starts getting larger and more successful, they will open a sales office in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. But the headquarters always stays in Fukuoka. <laughs> When an Osaka startup starts getting popular and successful, they move to Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So I, I think that's resulted in a really nice startup community in Fukuoka. Mm-hmm. Because Fukuoka has a background, so there are many good games, software companies in Fukuoka mm-hmm. before smartphone. Since launched smartphone, that kind of companies made their own products. So, I mean, uh, they are good engineers in Fukuoka. Yeah, I, I think it was about... So, 20 years ago, Fukuoka was kind of an outsourcing center. Yep. yep. So, a lot of Tokyo software companies outsourced to Fukuoka because it was cheaper. Yeah. But in the last 5, 10 years, a lot of these companies have decided, no, we're going to make our own software yes, now. Yes, yes. That's why it's really a good environment for develop the software, like application in the game. Okay. Well, listen, before we wrap up today, mm-hmm. I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. Okay. And that is if, if I gave you a magic wand and I said you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, uh, the education system, the way people think about risk, anything at all to make it better for startups, what would you change? So people have kindness for fatal people. So I mean, uh, fail is not fail. Fail is connect with success. And a fail has the learning point. So people have to share. Do you mean that you think people should be more willing to accept their own failure or that society should be more tolerant of other people who have failed? I, I think both. So especially in the startup companies, not to try 
is the most risk. Yeah, doing nothing is you will die. Yeah, but in Japan, people don't want to fail. So that's the most risk, I think. But、uh, we want to encourage the people to do new job, to new challenging. I think that's true, particularly at large companies. Being associated with failure,、mm-hmm. or being associated with a project that fails,、mm-hmm. is a terrible thing. But being associated with success, it's okay, but it's not necessary.、Mm-hmm. So it's just failure is bad. But what I've seen a lot of startups starting to do successfully in Japan in terms of failure is they're talking more about experiments.、Mm-hmm. Right? Experiments don't fail. You're just testing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. The experience. So we want to search the experience of being alive, including fail and success. I've seen a lot of Japanese companies change the attitude towards risk to talk about small projects as tests.、Hmm. It's like alternative <laughs> market research. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have to think big. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's changing now in Japan? Yeah. Yeah. I think Japan is changing. Excellent. <laughs> Hey, listen. Thanks so much for sitting down. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Startups are the lifeblood of an economy, and there are few who understand it better than Deloitte Tomatsu Venture Support. Deloitte TVS is the number one startup supporter in Japan, and they spur innovation here by connecting startups with larger companies and government entities. They work free of charge with these startups to help them with acceleration, PR. Fundraising and also finding the right corporate partners here. So far, Deloitte TVS has supported more than 3,000 startups in Japan, and now they have a global open innovation platform connecting startups and enterprises worldwide. It's a great way to connect with some of Japan's biggest players. So be sure to check out what Deloitte TVS has to offer. And we're back. I love what Yoshi and Yamap are doing. And living in Tokyo, pigeons and the occasional squirrel is the closest thing we have to wildlife here. Japan does have some stunning countryside, and it would be great if more people got the chance to appreciate it. That said, Yamap seems very much like a company in search of their perfect business model. Creating a social platform with premium content didn't work out because the initial community was too small. Selling insurance and outdoor gear to their user base provides solid revenues, but will not scale as well, particularly in overseas markets as a simple mobile app. As they say, the hound that chases two rabbits catches neither of them. Still, though, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with hybrid and complementary business models, and it's going to be interesting to watch how they continue to evolve. But you know, it was their work with the large Japanese companies like Seiko and Kyocera that I found the most interesting. Not simply because those large Japanese companies are working with startups in a meaningful way; we're seeing more and more of that. No, that the most important thing for these companies was not the startup's technology or the platform, which is what so many startups focus on. What Casio really wanted out of these relationships was Yamap's user base. And not simply because they wanted to sell products to those users; it's something more important. A growing and engaged user base is the only thing that validates the product. It's the only reason a company would select a startup's product 
over one they developed internally. After all, actual success in the market itself is the clearest way to demonstrate that a startup's idea has value. If you've ever been hiking in Japan or are thinking about doing it, Yoshi and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 075 and let us know what you think. And when you come to the site, you'll see all the links and resources that Yoshi and I talked about and much, much more in the resources section of the posts. And I'd like to say a little word about our sponsors. These companies make it possible for me to continue putting the show together and, and putting out this great content. So if you get the chance, visit them and let them know you heard about them on Disrupting Japan. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.